Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who have made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate but also entertain and enlighten. This week on The Happy Vagina we have the one woman powerhouse that is Leslie Zemeckis. Leslie, welcome to The Happy Vagina. This has been when I say this has been a long time coming. Oh, yes. I mean, it's been a long time coming. I've been in this outfit for three days. <laughs> <laughs> this is our third attempt of recording this podcast. And yeah. on top of that, I met Leslie because she completely fell in love with the coming soon knickers that we did for the Happy Vagina last this year. so good. <laughs> she found them on the internet and was like I yeah. need some of those and for those of you who are listening our stripe and stair coming soon knickers will be back in stock at some stage but they're not at the moment yeah. so you can just dream as Gloria Steinman says dreaming is a form of planning so if you want some of our coming soon pants watch this space Today, Leslie, it is an absolute honour to speak to you because you have dedicated a long period of time now to highlighting the work of women within the field of burlesque. You are actually an award-winning filmmaker and actress who has worked in films alongside Tom Hanks, Steve Carell, Jim Carrey, but most notably of late, I think, you have turned your attention to the history of burlesque in your best-selling book and documentary, Behind the Burly Q, which reveals the never-told-before stories of the men and women who worked in burlesque during its golden age in America. You've made a primary focus of your life to highlight the lives of women in American pop culture, and you continue to revisit and shine a light on formerly stigmatised and marginalised female entertainers. I mean, first of all, I'd just like to start by saying thank you. Thank you very much for all that you're doing to honour the history, even though some of it I think we'll discover today is quite a painful history, but mm -hmm. it's important that these stories are told and kept alive because they are very much the history of women. And we're going to look at burlesque in America and hopefully touch a little bit on what happened in Great Britain. But Leslie, what, what, where did your obsession with burlesque start? Where did it come from? Well, I had no obsession with burlesque. I, like so many people, had no idea what it was about. I was doing a one-woman show, and I based my character on Gypsy Rose Lee and Mae West. And the word burlesque came up, of course, when I was researching Gypsy. And I thought, what is burlesque? So just for my own um, interest, I, I got some books. I looked online. And everything was one told through the men. It was about the comedians that were in burlesque. If it mentioned a woman, it would say, and this was their act. And I thought, but who is this woman? I hate, we, we tend to just label and then dismiss people. Uh, it's a stripper. This is what she did, blah. But I wanted to know who she was. Where did she come from? Where did she go after burlesque ended? What did her family think? What was that like besides those seven minutes or 11 minutes on stage? So... The more I researched and, and saw that a lot of these men and women were still alive, I just, and I'm so glad, you know, ignorance is bliss, said, I'm going to go do a documentary. I'm going to get a, my friend who's got a camera. My, she's produced everything, Sherry Hellard with me. 
and just started calling people and, and saying, will you go on camera? And a lot of them were wary at first because it had been so dismissed. Uh, you know, when I talked to other people about it, they said, oh, they were really prostitutes, right? It was pornography. And it's, it's not, the history is so much r- richer than that. So we spent two and a half years going all across America, getting everybody that I could that was still alive to talk about it. And I'm so glad I did because since the film was out and then the book, most of them are gone, you know, and I, and I talked to people that were in their nineties, eighties, seventies, they're all gone. And there are really wonderful, wonderful stories. So the, the film is is a film length, 90 minutes. And then the, the book is, I, I listened to it on Audible, it's 12 hours worth of, I mean, just like a, a web of, in a way, you're not just telling the history of burlesque, you're kind of telling the history of America. I learned so much about what was going on within the different states, which we'll come back to a little bit later, I hope, when we start to look at what was allowed and what wasn't allowed in terms of the burlesque performers. But this thing about burlesque being left out of the history books, why, why was it? Or, or, or perhaps I should ask, why do you think it was the the men, the comedians, because the women were the stars of the show, not the comedians. Right. The the comedians started as the, as the um, stars of the show. By the time real burlesque, and and let's just preface that by saying burlesque was a variety show that was a little bit naughty. So you had all kinds of acts. You had showgirls, you had singers, you had acrobats, you had weird niche acts, and you had the strippers. So, So it's a long variety type show. Now it changes over history, and the strippers start to take over for many reasons, um, which we'll get into. But so by the time it really dies out into the 50s, it it becomes a strip show. And I think because nobody wrote too much about it before, although they did, that's what we think of burlesque. Oh, you know, it's the Pussycat Theater. Oh, it's somebody taking off their clothes. Oh, it's pole dancing. Oh, it's, you know, so never really examining what the show was and how it resonates in today's entertainment world and really what these women were, which a lot of them were artists and so were the men, you know. So was it that the the act, the performance of burlesque, where it landed at the end of that particular period in time? Because I think as far as I understand it, the reason that burlesque died out was because of of, of pornography becoming available in, in film. So so that was one of the well, reasons. It's, yeah, it's a lot of things. I mean, in 19, I think, 46, the bikini came out. So, oh, now you can see a body at the beach right not too long after that playboy came out right and all the comedy acts which which at the beginning they were fresh and then they just got old but those comedy acts went to radio then they went to tv then they went to movies so there was no reason to go to a burlesque house anymore to, to see a nudie cutie so is what happened essentially because the beginning of burlesque was although I'm sure, as we're going to discover today, there was lots of pain and, and trauma in terms of the what was going on, because part of it was also during the recession. But essentially what happened was by the time it had come to the end of that particular period, it had, I, I'm going to use the word just, I, I don't really mean that, because I think that, um, that, that stripping is an art form. But by the time burlesque became what it was in the 1950s, what remained of it was the stripping part of it. So somehow or other, that didn't seem like it needed to be embedded in history. Is that what happened to it? Is that why it, it yes, never got I think the, the so. notoriety that it really deserved as such an exceptional 360 full rounded show, variety show? Right. And it was a, it was an industry in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you could work in a burlesque show year round. There was a circuit, there was different wheels, there was theaters, you could have an acrobatic act and support yourself and your family year round. There was an industry for it. And that kind of industry also died out. So, you know, everybody went on to different kinds of things if they could, they couldn't stay 
in entertainment. The women, not not so much. They couldn't cross over into movies. So the the industry of it were the were the burlesque acts and artists traveling around America then. Yes. So it was also potentially part of the death of theater and and television replacing the live performance and the need for 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 troops of artists to go let's say from New York to other states to take what was happening in New York to those other states that that all died and it you know it had its time just as I say because one of my films is about the circus which also had burlesque dancers that type of thing in it circus in its heyday fulfilled something that wasn't there they they would go to towns where they had never seen an exotic animal they did not see a you know they could see a big recreation of the wild west there was some of these towns had no movie theaters so it was that kind of entertainment and as that all changes that industry also dies out it's you know a lot of our you know vaudeville early forms of entertainment that were an in, an industry which which I find so fascinating that all these acts could thrive and you could be a star. Mm. It's just it was of its time. Mm-mm. And and of course, as you've already mentioned, it is somehow still in so many of our art forms today that we don't even really know about. And 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 I think what's yeah. really exceptional about the work that you've done is that you've highlighted the full 360 of it. So, you know, you do talk about the comedians and, and everything that was going on within the whole the whole act. But just for people that are listening who who don't maybe for them they when they think of burlesque they might think of Dieter or you know or, or the film with uh, Christina Aguilera. What yeah. was a nineteen 19- 10 2030s burlesque act like did they strip i mean were they actually allowed to take everything off they no they weren't allowed to take anything off and again it would depend on the theater it would begin on the time supposedly you know in the early 1900s somebody's cuff as she was dancing either came off or she removed it and it got oh so next time oh oops my strap broke and then theaters are starting to compete. Come see this girl. She'll take off a little more. It was always pasties. It was always something on the bottom. Um, but it, but that's also the change in burlesque. It would be, you know, you would have the singer came out. You would have full chorus girls dancing. You'd have a huge orchestra. And then there would be two comedians come out. And then there would be a juggler. And then there would be a stripper. Then you'd go back to some comedians. And, you know, all the way through, the star would be towards the end, the star strip act. And it just, they started competing a little bit for who's going to be the sexiest, who's going to take off more, which women is, woman is going to have like the act that is going to get this following wherever she goes. And what I loved about the women in burlesque, they were their own producers, directors and artists of their act they didn't go into a theater and say how am I going to fit in they came and said this is my music this is my wardrobe um this is what I'm doing here are my props now they're lugging them around themselves a lot of time but it was this self-contained world this act that they wanted to present so, so you feel hugely creative for them so one of the things that I find really fascinating and complicated and difficult to get my head around and creates on like a huge debate on Instagram if I say anything about it is is the industry of stripping and pornography and all of the areas around that really deeply empowering for women or is it is it not I think it is today because it's different I think today if you're in burlesque or you're well I can't speak for strictly stripping, um, but I'll just speak of burlesque. You choose to do it. A lot of times the, the women that I interviewed, that was their only means of escaping abuse, um, poor economic situations. Some maybe came to feel, I don't think they felt empowered, but I think they felt good about what they were doing, that it was something where it was their opportunity to be a star. It was their opportunity to be somebody to make really good money. Some of them can make really good money. 
to have that applause. And like so many of them said, I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong. Now, did they love having somebody out there with a, a you know, popcorn over their, their crotch? No. Um, but they just kind of stayed in the world. But I don't think if you talk to any of those women, which you can't now, um, they would say they felt empowered. I think us looking back at them mm. can empower us for what they did. You know, they stuck to this thing where it was really them against the world. The world looked at them like less than, and they weren't, weren't doing anything but mostly teasing, mm. you know, showing a little of this, showing a little of that, showing more. It doesn't really matter. Um, well, it's the ongoing debate, isn't it, about... Yeah. be it's 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 essentially it, we're in the kind of the zone of sex work and whether or not using your body and your sexuality to to make money is a, a, an empowered choice or actually whether or not over many many years women have become objectified to such a great extent that that that's what because it's it's much more of a female present because it's much more of a, a female profession. You do have men, obviously, stripping and, and working as sex workers, but it's much And they more... are the funniest. There <laughs> is a huge movement in burlesque, and it's called Boylesque. And they are some of my favorite acts. They're the most creative, and they have humor, which burlesque was always, always humor-based. It's exaggeration. It's making fun of something. So when you see these these uh, boylesque, burlesque strippers, not Chippendale, not that it matters, but just specifically to what we're talking about, their, their costumes are amazing. They're hilarious, good dancers. They are some of my favorite acts, all because I of the humor. I definitely need to go and to go and check that out. And I and I love I love the humor of it too. And also just finishing off on this kind of conscience and and this is it a sin? Is it not a sin? One of the most brilliant parts in the book was the story about the the woman, the artist who went to speak to a vicar or a priest to ask about whether or not being a burlesque performer was a sin. And he he said that it's up to her. You know, like, like, I mean, I think, I think any, any person in the clergy, anyone who works at a spiritual level, if they're really doing their job properly, what they should be doing is inviting the human being that they're speaking to, to align with themselves. Like, what mm -hmm. is your moral code? Is it okay for you? If you don't feel like you're abusing yourself, if you don't feel shame, then go for it and have a great time. And I think for me, that's the dichotomy around whether something's abusive or not it's like whether you have a whether you're choosing to do it and of course there was a huge recession in america during that time so so many of these women as far as i understand it leslie were the breadwinners absolutely you know um, um always from when they got in and you could start as a you could lie and start as a you know young teen but i never heard them talk about being abused in the theater or by any of the theater owners or managers there might have been some um, just because the world is, has lots of different experiences, but that really wasn't the experience. Some really just came in, did their act, hung out in the dressing room, went home, went on to the next thing. Others, there was more camaraderie backstage. backstage. It was just a really big, different experience and life for everybody, but it was really opportunity for these women. Mm -hmm. And they would spend hours sewing amazing, gorgeous gowns. I remember Blaze talking about she made this couch. She wanted it to catch on fire. And they were really interested in, in putting forth a good performance. Yeah. And the creativity. I mean, if, if anything, the other thing that I really got the impression was that it was proper, pure theater. The comedians make more than the dancers or did the dancers. Make I believe more they I believe they did in the beginning. But then when the stripper started taking over and you've got the star stripper, I think those those comedians, you know, which is probably one reason besides the hard work of being on the circuit, you know, is taking that radio job or taking that television job or, or the film. And did these women, I mean, was there a, um, was there an, an, an age 
like what kind of age were these women working at? Did they have children? Some did have children. And okay, this okay, this is the greatest. So you could get in very young as a as a teen. Georgia uh, Southern was thirteen. I think she lied and said she was fifteen or sixteen, but she started when she was thirteen. Um, so you could start really young and, and a lot of them stripped into their fifties, into their sixties, into their seventies. Tempest was 70 something when she finally fell off the stage and broke a leg or something. She's, I think, 93 today is her birthday. Um, so you could have a very long life. And here's the best thing I love. And, and I didn't realize it when I was interviewing them and I didn't realize it until I was doing press for the film. And then, well, first say, they've all, they all stayed in my life until they died. Oh, we talked all the time, called correspondents. I mean, they became my friends. Mm. Um, and I think because I showed them respect, mm. you know, for what they did. But I realized afterwards when I was doing press, they never disparaged their bodies ever. And they were every different shape. They were not your perfect body. Some were bigger, some were littler, flatter never said anything. Oh, I wish I was this or they kind of really liked who they were. And is was burlesque a inclusive place for women? Was there any measuring of kind of your hips should be this or your you need a bosom like this? Or was it really about your talent and how creative you were and whether or not you had sex appeal? Well, I think in the beginning, it was just like, will you take off your clothes? Okay, we'll hire you. <laughs> I mean, because there's really, they need to fill these theaters and these shows. They needed girls. You know, they would go to a lot of um, little small towns and do contests. You know, who, what in town, when to be the best stripper or whatever. So it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't that, you know, and it, showgirls is a whole different thing, which my third book's about, they, you know, they were measured, you know, you had to look like this and you had to have your blonde hair mostly. And there was absolutely um, a form, but burlesque, you could kind of be absolutely anything. So what other opportunities were there for women? So those, those contests that went to local towns, if those girls didn't enter that, what would those girls in those local towns be doing for work? And, and what, what opportunities were there for women in this period of time? Well, there was getting married. There was, you could be a shop girl. You could be a teacher. You know, a lot of them aspired to be dancers or to go to Hollywood, didn't have the opportunity, maybe didn't have the talent. This afforded them the glamour that they really wanted. I mean, these girls love sequins and doing their hair. And mm. it, it was an opportunity, you know, to be stars of this world well, actually, to, and, and kind of self-create because you've changed your name. You, you know, you could change your hair and you could present an image that you wanted. And just listening to you talk about what the other opportunities were, it's dawning on me that this really was a significant freedom for women within the fact that there was probably a lack of freedom, the traveling, fun, but you know, you're on the road all the time. But actually the truth is, is there were no other roles for women at the early part of the century right. where they could And you be... couldn't travel around by yourself. No. You know, you're not going to see a woman traveling from from city to city and state to state. But when you're with a troop or, you know, you know where your destination is, you know, one, it's a little safer. And, and it's, again, it's it's opportunity. So they had agency, actually, and, and autonomy over their own, over their own yeah. lives and careers. Did you find that there was a lot of alcohol consumption? Just, I mean, I think our industry <laughs> is fueled anyway because of the late nights and, and, and yes. the adrenaline and actually I think performing is a is almost an outwardly experience that sometimes people need alcohol to bring themselves down how did the women look after themselves did they look after themselves or was there a lot of alcoholism was there it, uh, a lot there's of... a mix you know there was there was a lot of alcohol usually there's a bar next to the theater and then when burlesque started moving into nightclubs some of the girls were expected to have the customers buy them drinks. 
um, you know, so there's alcohol around like any other industry. Some people drank, some people drank too much. Some people didn't drink. Um, some people were smart enough and like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that. Other people would said they'd fill their little Pepsi bottles with gin, you know, to get through the midnight show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of the comedians drank. So it's not just the fact that they were strippers. Mm, no, it's the industry. I think I, that's why I wanted to reference that, that I think it's important not to put too much on the burlesque part of it. I think that the industry is is riddled with people needing to prop themselves up with some stimulants to try to, to be an exhibitionist, to be, to be a performer. Or to come down at the end of the night, you know, to have exactly. about one or two drinks and then... Exactly. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You mentioned uh, some of the women had children. And I wondered, what was that like? And did you get to meet the children of the of the ballet dancers of the glory days? I did meet some. I would say that's the saddest parts of the story. Uh, some of the children didn't fare well. It was difficult to have a mother always on the road or a type of mother that wasn't necessarily interested in anybody else but herself. Some of the children would literally be left with anybody who could watch them. Uh, Those were very difficult relationships. Um, And, and there were a few, but I would say not very many that were, you know, you label great mothers Mm -hmm. doing the best they can, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, a lot of their relationships with their children were fractured forever. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really loved about Sally Rand, I interviewed her son extensively, who she adopted. And I, I fell in love with her because she was such a great mother. You know, she really stood out from a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But she had, she had support of, she came from a really strong mother. And so she had a strong family tie that would help with, with her child and, and so on and so forth. And she, you know, took her son with her a lot of the time, but a lot of them, it was, you know, not, not happy stories. But again, to a certain extent, I think we must be careful to judge what happened Absolutely. then. I was a child of the seventies and my mother and father, uh, they were very politically active so my mother was not a burlesque dancer. She was a nurse and, you know, second generation Irish immigrant and became heavily involved in politics and, and demonstrating and campaigning. Don't know where I get it from. And she, they left me with people. Like, I think we need to be really careful not to blame the burlesque for the fact that the women were needing to work. And because I... I don't know what their experience was, but what I can say is that today it's only in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, maybe 20, that we've really, really started to understand the the impact on children of psychological development. So when those women, of course, those children will have potentially been traumatised. And of course, 
it probably wasn't correct that they were left with other people but I would say back then it was probably what everyone was doing you know I, I don't I'm not sure that that you can really judge what was going on right before not only that psychology but, yeah but but some of these women it this was their work they couldn't not go out on the road and perhaps leaving them behind was better than bringing them on the road you know absolutely you can't judge it, it they're not the happiest of stories, but these these women were the majority of them were the breadwinners in the families. If if there was even a husband, yeah. And also, look, I mean, to be honest with you, Leslie, actresses in our in our industry that work consistently today, it's been a long fight for them to be able to have their kids on set. It, I mean, it's not it's not as though the industry even in the in the 60s and 70s was any better women were having to fight to take their children to work with them even today women female friends of mine that are ceos of businesses are really you struggle to be really successful business women and be great mothers and the dichotomy and the shame the shame i think is something that we could all do with abolishing as women, I, I'm not a mother, as you know, but I really do feel that that women give themselves a hard time for not being everything. And also the the, the support system. There's, you know, we're only starting to like, you know, paid leave and and things like that to to help women. You know, they, there was none of that then. Absolutely. And did they find that their families, because of the stigma and the shame attached to burlesque, did they find? Did you find that? their families would disown them did they get i mean again i know your answer is going to be it depends on the situation um, but yeah. but it, but did were there stories were there a lot of stories of of women who chose to work as burlesque artists being disowned by families so that when they had children they didn't mm-hmm. get the support that say a housewife might do who decided to stay at home in boston no there's actually little of that it's more um you know some uh, you know, there's a, one great story of this girl who is, you know, again, probably 15, 16. She said, I couldn't go audition here because my mother was performing there. So sometimes it's, you know, that kind of thing. Others, I think their family, if they didn't want to go see the show, at least respected that they were doing something. I mean, I, I it very rarely and I can't even like think of one circumstance where the family disowned them now some didn't tell their families one woman in particular when I interviewed her she was probably in her 70s and and she had a son that was 48 and one that was 46 and she said I just told them last year because she felt shame that she was in it they'd never known yeah wow Wow, that's amazing. And also quite interesting the um, that you found women who couldn't audition somewhere because, was it because they were underage and their mother would be like, oi, get home, you 13-year-old. Yeah. Is that what was going on when, yeah. when they couldn't? Yeah. One of the things around that, not not with mothers and daughters, but seems to come up as a bit of a theme that I find upsetting. It was it was part of the storyline in the film burlesque as far as i remember as well which is about women fighting and i find that i don't know how about you but i find the feuding in fact you have also written another book about two incredibly famous burlesque artists and their ongoing feud but i just wondered how that was for you hearing the stories about the women being set against each other and competing it's it's one of my pet hates is women competing with women and backstabbing and fighting it's just like it's almost like it's almost like we're playing into the system that is set up to bring us down yes there there were definitely specific feuds um and i think it's their feeling of scarcity that you know if she becomes a bigger star than me if she takes my act what do I have what do I have to present so I think there was this guarding of you know of acts um, and dresses and colors you know if you were the star stripper the other strippers could you know and you coming in with a red gown you know there would be a fight if 
somebody didn't, it, somebody had your same color gown, you know, and they had, as the star stripper, they had the power to say, you know, she can't do that. But also deeply embedded in, in the world, just like being in a theater company, which I loved, there really is a camaraderie. You really are your own little unit, especially in that time when you, you, you step out of it and you get looked at for, oh, being at the burlesque house. So, there, so there's more friendships than there were feuds, even though there were feuds. I think people wanted to, to kind of help each other. And you would hear great stories about one being sick and the other one would send soup or one would guard her costume. You know, there's, and then lifelong friendships. I think also, of course, probably the press back then was no different to the press today, which is that the press would report on the feuds that were going on because it was tittle-tattle and people wanted to know about it. And of course, it's not really headline news, you know, Samantha and Jane had a hug at the end of their show and showed some some women's liberation and support. It's hardly headline news. So of course, it's the feuds that we hear about. Of course, it's apparent that becoming fascinated by this era and this work has impacted you greatly. In fact, your Instagram page when we first became, I know, <laughs> ta-da! Can you tell? <laughs> I, I, when, when we first became friends on social media over the coming soon pants, I, I was like, she's really funny on her Instagram. What's she doing with her feet and doing these? And then I kind of, it, 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 it dawned on me that you have your own burlesque thing going on. And that what I love about you, what I, what I, one of the things that I absolutely love about you is that you are not, you're, you're continuing to be wild and to go against what perhaps we should be doing as we get older as women, you know, and you're like, no, I'm going to continue to be the sexy goddess that I am and just shout about it on my Instagram. Exactly. And underneath it, so you're, you've got your your sassy burlesque iconic character and then you are also doing a lot of work with women mentoring and championing writers to really grow into the strongest young women and women that they can be i i just wondered if if there was a story in all of your writing a one of the burlesque dancers or any of the stories of the women that really kind of impacted you and dropped you into wanting to do that to be a change maker to be someone who helps other women well I don't think it was one story in particular I think you know it really bothered me that nobody cared about their stories and and that's what they said to me it's like nobody ever asked so that's why after I gained their trust they were really forthcoming, but I mean, nobody asked them from the biggest star to the littlest, you know, who were you? Where do you da, 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 da. And so that, you know, I think is the genesis of, of the work I want to do in my, in my books and my films, these, these women that were huge stars in their day, nobody really looked beyond the label, tiger trainer, circus freak, stripper, and uncovering those stories. And, and maybe people didn't because they didn't know how to give voice to them. Mm. So that's part of the mentoring, mentoring the younger generation to say your story matters, the mm. story of your community matters, mm. your grandmother matters, go find those stories. And if nobody else is interested, put them down anyway, somebody will be it will have mm. value. Mm. and if I hadn't done this I mean not to toot my horn at all but if I hadn't done this these stories would be gone Mm. because nobody asked them Mm. and was there any of the stories of the burlesque dancers was there one of one of the pioneering women that really touched your heart and that you really identified with well it's going to sound weird, but Lily Sincere did, who is my second book. 
I'm so pleased you said that because honestly, I've become, since listening to your book, I've become obsessed with Lily Sincere. Say more. She, you know, but I just, I understood her. Um, now she ended up on drugs and she had all these pathologies and was complex. I understood her. And I, I did my burlesque film, did my burlesque book. I was done with burlesque. You know, I like, I go to shows, I judge them, whatever. Her, uh, Lily's sister came to me with a box. You know, she was one who I interviewed. We stayed friends. We would go to lunch. She would drive. It was terrifying. Um, <laughs> But she, Darty, her sister, came to me with a box and said, you should write Lily's story. And I'm like, I'm so not interested. I'm done with burlesque. I did it. Thank you. <laughs> and then I started investigating. And she's another one. I think there was just a couple books about her um, or articles or something. And people just got her wrong. She had so hugely famous, but all headlines. Lily tries to kill herself. Lily divorced. Lily this, right. that. When I started researching her, I understood her completely. Tell us a bit about that book. Yes, it's called Goddess of Love Incarnate. Um, I did a deep dive. My editors, editors and publishers were so great. They let me keep in so much stuff because I said, nobody's ever going to write this again. And her life was peopled by the most interesting people. Marilyn Monroe imitated her. Marilyn would sit in the clubs and watch Lily and you can see they have the similar little gestures and Lily had this funny little voice. Marilyn would, would imitate her walk. She wanted to know how Lily did her eyebrows. Lily was the first, first stripper at a, at a legitimate nightclub in Hollywood. Ciro's sold out everything. She was also the first stripper in Las Vegas. If you can even like imagine that. Super elegant. Um, she had a bathtub. Her her thing was like she would create these little scenes. She would come in from shopping. She would have a fur on. She would have a fur over her fur. She would have real diamonds just all over her. She'd take that off, have her maid on stage, give her a bath. Um, and then she would get dressed, do a little couple little twirls around the stage and leave. That was her act. Huge 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 for years so was someone like lily sincere a actual rival for a hollywood star at the time at that time was burlesque so significant that she was actually capturing headline news in the same way as a hollywood star would because it was the silence well, she actually was, she was getting the headlines um she wasn't getting the respect but she was definitely getting the headlines and she was arrested and married a million times tried to kill herself a million times um did she? And and she she tried to do a couple films. Or she's in a couple. That one, it's not her forte, and I don't think she wanted to. I mean, she was lazy. She wanted to get up at noon or later, put on all her makeup, and then go to the theater and do her act. But she tried to commit suicide. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Was, did she have mental health issues, or was she... I, I don't think so. I think, you know, if you talk to one of her husbands who was who I talked to, who was there for one of them, it was kind of a drama getting attention kind of thing. Um, I, I think later as she got into drugs and she wasn't in drugs in her early years, but then she also didn't try to kill herself then. I mean, it, it definitely, uh, there was a time. So it could have been to do with chemical withdrawal because that, that, that is actually... No, no, no. She had, she did drugs at later part of her life. When she was trying to take her own life? No. Right. I so see. And when her young age, you know, she would occasionally try and take her life. And then, you know, I think she started on drugs 50 or 60 years old. She started and taking that, drugs at age 50 or 60? And then that's when the trying to kill herself stopped. <gasps> it was like, was it was like man then? drama. Was she? she was in her 50s and she, she could have been a, a few years later, but then she, but drugs, heroin became very reclusive, um, was a mess. Didn't, couldn't, it, it was very hard for her to age, very hard. 
Well, yeah, yeah I, the pressure on women to not age is huge. And I think particularly as performers, the pressures that we're put under to be ageless and stay young is just, I mean, what's changed? Nothing's changed. When is it going to change? Leslie... But I think with Lily, really, it was because um, she could still work for many years, you know, into her 50s. But I think it was really her self-worth completely i mean she wouldn't let her sister see her as she aged but again i suppose for me with all of this conversation my question does still stand and it will be an ongoing debate for me around self-esteem and using our sexuality to entice and make money because i think you have to be a human being who has extraordinary self-esteem to be able to perform and use your sexuality to entice and make money and not be affected by society's judgment i think society's judgment is wrong however if you have even a tiny wobble in your self-esteem even a tiny wobble in your self-esteem then that in then that judgment and shaming is going to come in and I think over time corrodes is what I see with friends of mine who have worked as sex workers is that they feel fine about it when they start but then after a while when they've got people judging them and damning them and abusing their mental health and, and, and accusing them of doing something that isn't good for them and all the stuff that comes with it, I think you'd, you'd, you'd have to have an immaculate self-esteem to be able to right-size that, you know? Yeah, well, she did not. I mean, she no. wasn't, you know, a difficult childhood. There, You know, there was mental issues on her father's side. You know, who knows? Mm. But... You know, I mean, I just completely fell in love with her. Mm, mm, mm. Did the Ugh. rest of the women that were working in burlesque end well? Did did what what? Because so many of the comedians, it seems, so Abbott and Costello were, were one of the sort of yep. double acts, weren't they? Who who yep. were the comedians on stage? And obviously, they had huge Hollywood careers. What what happened with your experience of interviewing them? what where did they end up when the when the glory days of burlesque ended well they went on to film and tv they did a million films you know then then they probably went back to sort of live theater you know when they wanted to but they had you know they had their big homes and they had big careers and they had respect and they had their colleagues that were all comedians that had had been in the circuit and they were still friends with some of the star strippers i know ann corio hung out there a lot um, you know, so they had careers until they died. So the women who worked burlesque, even though burlesque came to 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 to, a, to an end, or or it transformed into something else in the late fifties, early sixties, mm. with the advent of television, etc., they they essentially continued to work at the same level. Some did, you know, some didn't. Some got out. Some saw it changing. Some didn't like the element of go go. They didn't like strip poles. Um, they didn't what like... What is that, go-go and strip poles? You know, like the 60s, I don't know, go-go dancing. Oh, but, I see. Yeah. They didn't like the new form of stripping. No, they liked having an act. They didn't want to, like, come on for three minutes, take their clothes on, and run off. Mm, they liked the story. Um, the story. Yeah, they the like, you know... The story that they told on stage. They told yeah. stories, right? Mm-hmm. It was theater. It was theater. So a lot of them left and went on to various things out, usually outside the industry at all. Mm -hmm. Leslie, we've run out of time, but I've just got one last question for you. Obviously, you've had a very successful career in, in, in the entertainment industry as an actress and now as an author and a documentary filmmaker. You're also in a family of really successful people within the film industry. I'm, I'm imagining your household is quite competitive with a husband that also works in film that's not my last question <laughs> i don't care about him i only care about the oh girls. good um but i i wondered what your advice would be to a woman 
who wanted to come into the world of Hollywood and entertainment today, what would be your tips for her mental health to, to, to really forge a career? So I'm not, I don't mean, how does she do it? I mean, how do you stay well in it as a woman? How do you stay well in the entertainment industry? Well, I think like any industry, you have to have a strong support group. You have to have other like minds, men and women that are friends that as an author, I have uh, two very good friends who I never see, they're in other parts of the country. We literally text every day. Are you writing? What's going on? Oh, I hate writing. Da, da, da. So you, you need that support group. And I also think you need to give back will make you feel better. Um, mm. You know, mentoring has really been incredible for me because it's not teaching but it's it's saying i have enough worth that i have i have things that i can impart mm. and i think we all need to know that that we have that and and that our our wisdom matters mm. and our giving back mm. Mm. so mm. so really having that strong support group you know so that get you a mentor text every would you day. say get a mentor to, to to young women who are coming into the industry today would you say first thing get a mentor why not Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And then go be a mentor to, you know, somebody younger. And what do you do to keep your self-esteem high with all the rejection that you get as an actor? Um, I have learned a long time ago not to hear the word no. Ah! <laughs> I, I don't hear it. I've heard it so much. I've had people laugh at me, dismiss me. I don't hear it. I and, and it partly came from this documentary, you know, people, oh, she's going to go make a little film. How cute. And, you know, we sold it right away. It's been running forever. It started this whole other thing in my life. Just having belief in yourself. So you can say no all you want. I don't hear it and I don't stop. Yes, Leslie Zemeckis. That is the best place for us to end. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I'm glad it worked the third time's the charm. <laughs> this has been The Happy Vagina. I'm Mika Simmons, and that was the burlesque expert, Leslie Zemeckis. Thank you for listening, everyone, and see you next week. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.